0: There's a famous saying, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. But our guest today, planetary scientist Dr. Nina Lanza of Los Alamos, might disagree with that premise. I'm Dustin Planholt, founder and CEO of Life's Tough Media. This season of Life's Tough, But Explorers Are Tougher is made possible through the generous support of Ripple. We hope you enjoy the series. This is Life's Tough, But Explorers Are Tougher. I'm your host, Richard Weiss. If you're new to Life's Tough, I'd like to welcome you and tell you a little about myself and the show. First of all, I love the outdoors. I always have and I always will. And I've also been surrounded by explorers my entire life. My father, Richard Weiss Sr., was the first man to solo the Pacific Ocean in an airplane. The New York Times called him the Lone Eagle of the Pacific. Some of my fondest memories were standing out on our lawn underneath the stars with my father telling me how explorers use the stars to navigate. I guess we talked about a few other things as well. And speaking of talking, I host a television show called Born to Explore, It's on PBS stations around the country, so please check it out. And finally, I've been president of the world-famous Explorers Club. Just about every great explorer of the 20th and 21st century has been a member, including Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, Jane Goodall, Theodore Roosevelt. Some people say it's like Harry Potter's Hogwarts, only for adults. I've heard stories that would make the hair on the back of your neck stand up. You see, explorers are the type of people who walk in space, go to the bottom of the ocean, and stand on the highest summits. Scratch the surface of any explorer, and you'll find they're all storytellers. This show is about their tales. Welcome to Life's Tough, but Explorers are Tougher, Dr. Nina Lanza.
1: Thanks, Richard. I'm excited to be here.
0: Nina, how how sick are you of hearing that quote or or title of men are from Mars, Women Are From Venus?
1: I mean, at this point I can barely hear it, right? You know, because obviously Mars is one of my favorite planets, certainly, and I spend a lot of time there. So whatever people may say, it's not stopping me from going to Mars every day.
0: So, Nina, before we um start, I'm just gonna tell the audience how we first met. So Just indulge me in this moment. Okay. Great. Our first meeting was in 1979. You were in my fraternity at Brown University. In fact, you were brought to my room. You were crying. I gave you a drink. You smiled. I held you in my arms and you fell asleep. (laughs) And you know, the funny thing about it is you don't even remember you know, it happens all the time. What can I say? <laughs> so just just before I start getting hate mail from, pe- uh, from people, Nina was about two months old. Her uh, mother, my aunt, doc- uh, not doctor, Sylvia Lanza, came to visit me at my fraternity at uh, Brown University. And I have known Nina since. So before she was Dr. Nina Lanza, she was just Nina, the apple of both your mother and your father's eye. <laughs>
1: Well, that's awesome. Uh, thanks for reminding me of that. Um, it's, uh, you're right. I don't remember, but I feel like there might be some photo documentation somewhere. So, I, I do uh, have a photo. We can find that.
0: So, Nina, I, I know that you, among all the things you love, you love Mars. And you mentioned the word Mars, you light up. So, let's just cut to the chase. Are we going to find life?
1: Well, of course, I don't know. And that's why I'm studying Mars. I really want to find out if there was ever life on Mars, or maybe there is life today. You know, And so I can't say for sure whether or not it is true, but I don't think it's impossible, which is why I've dedicated my life to this.
0: So you have many titles, um, and we do speak at uh, family functions, uh, especially around Thanksgiving, Christmas, we do a family Zoom call. And so I'm I'm having a hard time keeping track of titles and projects you're working on. So which project are you working on? And I think you have different titles on these projects, right?
1: Oh, I do. I mean, I work on a lot of different projects. You know, they're all very similar in that they, um, study different aspects of Mars for the most part, but, um, you know, one of my favorite projects is the project I've been working on the longest, which is the ChemCam instrument project, which is on the Curiosity Mars rover. It's there right now, operating as we speak. And on that project, you know, I'm I'm essentially um, just a scientist, which is totally great and awesome. And I've been that since uh, 2006, so I've been on that project a long time.
0: And so, um, take me through some of the things that you guys have discovered, because I, I know that. For a scientist, there's the awesomeness of, you know, small discoveries, but there's been quite a few things from the start to the finish. It's been considered probably one of the more successful Mars missions.
1: Absolutely. Oh, we've learned so much. I could talk your ear off about this. But, you know, one of the biggest discoveries that we've made is just that there was a long lasting lake of liquid water in our landing site, Gale Crater. And this water wasn't something that was very acidic. It was actually neutral. So if this lake had been on Earth, it absolutely would have been inhabited. Um, We don't know if it was inhabited on Mars, but certainly it would have been habitable. So a place where life, as we understand it, could have existed.
0: So for the layperson who may not get as excited over finding water, right? Because you know, water and life are different things. What is it about that discovery? And I know even on the moon now, which was thought to be completely devoid of water, they're finding at least uh, chemical signatures of it.
1: So you're right, you know, water isn't the same as life. And certainly, even though there's water on the moon, that water is not really accessible to life as we understand it. So you need more than just water, but it's one of those basic uh, ingredients. So we also need certain environmental conditions, right? We need water to be able to be liquid. We also need organic molecules and materials. You know, we tend to speak about it in terms of elements on my uh, instrument. So we look for uh, the, what I call the chinops elements. So carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen, phosphorus, and sulfur. These are these really important elements that we know make up the building blocks of life here on earth. So we need to know that those are there on Mars as well. And they are, and even more excitingly, there's actually organic molecules that have been preserved in these lake sediments for millions of years. And so again, this is really exciting because it's one of the first times we've been able to really say, no, this place had everything that life needed.
0: Nina, I I have to say, I grin ear to ear when you speak and, and I'll tell you why, and this is the God's honest truth. You are one of the most effective science communicators I've ever met. And and I believe me, I know a lot of scientists. And so what made you so effective in communicating stuff with enthusiasm? I, I've seen you speak to kids, lay people, and yet people come away from those conversations and, and are enthusiastic about your work. They might not completely understand it, but at some level you're hitting them. So take me through the early Nina Lanza, the formative years, what got you excited about being a planetary scientist?
1: Oh, well, goodness, what is not exciting about being a planetary <laughs> scientist? I have the greatest job ever. Uh, you know, I feel like when I talk to people about my work, you know, I'm just, this is how I feel on the inside. This isn't an act, I'm just so excited to share. And I feel like I'm excited and why wouldn't everyone be excited? And, you know. I've always been interested in space and space exploration. You know, when I was really young, my parents took me to many outreach events in our um, neighborhood. There's some pretty big uh, schools in that area. And so they often have observatories. You're from,
0: from the Boston area, Cambridge, right?
1: That's right. I grew up in Brookline, Massachusetts. And so, uh, yeah, there are many... Uh, universities that have open observing, that they open up uh, their uh, observatories for the public, and my parents would take me there. And there's this one night in particular that really um, sticks with me because I think it really changed the course of my life. Uh, This was in 1987 when Halley's Comet was making a pass uh, around the earth. It was very, very close. And it's a short period comet, so it comes back uh, once every about 76 years. So it's within um, a human lifespan. Uh, So people were really excited about it. My parents took me to an outreach event that had a lecture beforehand and then observing. And I will admit, I was pretty young. I, I didn't pay a lot of attention to that uh, lecture, but I'll never forget what I felt when I went onto the roof and I looked through that telescope. And there is this comet. And this is a thing, this is a real thing. And it, I realized in that moment that space and the sky, it's not a dome, it's not a flat thing. Um, it's actually three-dimensional space and it's huge. And there's all these things out there and we have barely begun to discover what actually is out in our universe. And to me, that was the most exciting question ever. What was out there? And I I realized from that day forth that that's what I wanted to study. Now, of course, I didn't know how to do that. You know, I was seven years old. I didn't have a a very good plan, but I knew that that was something that I just, I I couldn't let go of.
0: But you're you're sort of omitting one sort of critical factor in there, you know. You say your parents took you to see Halley's Comet. That's a little different than most parents. Your father, Dr. Richard Lanza from MIT, is is renowned. I mean, and I I I, I do not hide this fact myself. When people ask me the biggest influences on my life, I mention my father and your father and. Your father also is a great communicator of science. So at seven years old, your dad's already speaking to you in ways that other parents wouldn't know how to in terms of um, every um, career, every vocation has a language in which they speak. And you heard the speak of scientists from the time you were in my frat room at Brown University.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was so lucky to grow up in a a science family. You know, you point out, yeah, my dad is a professor um, and he is incredibly enthusiastic about what he does too. I think that's what his driving motivation is, truly curiosity. Um, And he always shared that with me. My mother too has a scientific background. And in fact, she has a degree in geology, um, which of course I thought was super lame until here I am now, um, you know, 20 years later, I'm actually uh, a geologist by training too. So, you know, we would take these road trips and my mom would stop by some road cuts and point out some of those rocks to me. And, you know, I was too cool for school then, but now that's what I do too. So it definitely runs in the family. So I was lucky, you know, in that regard that I, um, I never thought that science was inaccessible um, or different than your everyday life. It's something that's all around you.
0: But you exude a confidence around scientists. And your, your father was telling me on, on the phone the other day that in, um, I think it was in 1990, that uh, two of his colleagues had won the Nobel Prize, um, a guy named Henry Kendall and Jerry Friedman. And you were just a little kid. And, you know, you would call them Jerry or Henry, whatever little kids call uh, scientists. So you were around Nobel Prize winners at, at a very young age. So the idea of meeting other scientists wasn't so intimidating for you. You were just always around it.
1: Absolutely. Although you know, when you're when you're a little kid, you don't really know what the Nobel Prize means. You just know that these are, you know, your dad's friends, and you've known them forever, and they're really nice, right? Um, so I think though it does it has helped me as I move forward with my career to feel comfortable in um, knowing that I understand how science. Works Now, that doesn't mean I'm the greatest scientist in the world or that I'm always right, but more that I understand the process, because above all else, science is a process, and it's okay to take uh, some wrong turns. It's okay to ask questions, and sometimes the simplest questions are actually the most important ones. And so we should never be afraid to ask those questions, because um, I think that can be intimidating. You know, we're supposed to know everything. Sometimes that's what we think as scientists, but we don't. We don't have to know everything. That's why we have jobs. We're trying to. We're trying to find the answers.
0: And you also have had other interests. A, a lot of the um, maybe preconceived notions about a scientist is it's a very nerdy person. You know, these they, thick glasses, they only can understand that. You were—you once performed in a goth band. Am I correct on this? Oh,
1: my goodness. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't think Stinging I knew that one. <laughs> what was the name of the band, first of all?
1: It was Incus, and they still exist, albeit without me, because I actually uh, I moved away to answer the call of science. Uh, but they still are going strong. In fact, probably stronger than when I was there. Um, but yes, yeah, so actually one of my, my um, hobbies is singing. I'm a soprano and so I'm a classical singer. Um, so I, I sang for this band and it was super fun. It was definitely, um, I would say a stretch for me because you, know, you mentioned scientists are nerdy and I, uh, I'm just gonna, I felt called out a little bit here because you know, um, <laughs> those are my people, uh, we're awkward and weird. And so um, you know, maybe not the best uh, match for a, a tribal arty goth band.
0: Yeah, but, you know, there is still a little bit of a disconnect in science, at least in in some fields of science with women and scientists. I know in marine biology, whenever I um, see people, it seems to be as many women as um, men. But in planetary science and physics, it's overwhelmingly men. And I, I know this will embarrass you, but... Um, people used to compare you a lot with Anne Hathaway. You looked a lot like Anne Hathaway. So I could imagine this Anne Hathaway with a PhD walking into these meetings. You know, did you ever notice awkwardness from these people? Was there a problem being, quote, one of the guys?
1: Well, you know, you you point out some of the stats, right? Even planetary science certainly has more men than women, but we're not doing so badly, honestly. Like, we're about 25%, I think, for the geosciences, but that's not 50-50, certainly. Um, Yeah, I would say that, you know, maybe it's more, less of my gender and more of my exuberance that was weird. You know, I'll go into a room and uh, try to to find the fun in it. But, you know, I have to say that my colleagues have... um, you know, have, I think they appreciate me and what I bring to this team, even if it's a little bit, uh, non-traditional, I try to make sure that we're all enjoying our work, even as we're getting our work done. Um, so, you know, I, I'm very lucky in that regard. We have a very strong team.
0: So you, you mentioned the concept of team and I, I know that team is very important to you. Uh, you had a team of people, for example, when you went to Antarctica to look for meteorites sitting on there what is it that you look for in a team dynamic when you go on an expedition?
1: That's such a good question, you know, because I think what people think is going to be good for a team ends up maybe not being as important as some other aspects. Um, so when I was in Antarctica, I was living in an eight foot by eight foot tent with another person. Um, and that was for six weeks and we had four tents. So we had eight people. And I think one of the things that I, took away from that experience was that one of the most important aspects for doing an expedition is having a group of team members who are all willing to roll with the punches you know we make plans and we we try our best to figure out everything that could possibly go wrong what are some mitigating strategies but in you know inevitably something else will happen and we have to be relaxed enough to just go with it and find a solution and not be upset or holding on to our idea of what we were supposed to be doing or how we were going to be doing it. So I think for me, um, looking for team members who are going to be able to be um, adaptable and easygoing, those are really critical characteristics, I think, Um, even more so than expertise, because we can, you know, you could teach somebody anything, right, Uh, but you can't help people deal with the emotional challenges of being in an extreme environment.
0: So you just received a grant from the Explorers Club to go up to Canada to study. I'll, I'll let you explain it. You, ha- you have a uh, a expedition coming up to Canada. What is it that you're looking for up there?
1: Yeah, I'm so excited. So this is so exciting. So um, this is uh, the GRAPE mission. So GRAPE is an acronym that I'm going to probably mess up, but that's the Gamma Ray, ray Analysis, Analysis
0: Planetary Exploration. Planetary
1: Exploration. Yes, that's right. Um, so um, as you might imagine, we are primarily focusing our work on one technique, that's gamma ray spectroscopy. So maybe I'll back out a little bit, though, and say, so the place that we're going in the Canadian Arctic is Devon Island, and specifically to Houghton Crater. Now, this is a great Mars analog location that's actually been studied quite a bit uh, for many, many years. It's an impact structure. And so, of course, on Mars, there are many impact structures. But what's so great about the one at Houghton is that it's within a paraglacial environment. So that's a permanently frozen place. And this is a really good uh, analog to Mars environments, which are typically going to be frozen most of the year, if not the the whole year. So that's why it's a great Mars analog. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to test this new type of gamma ray spectroscopy technique. So, what is this gamma ray technology? You say, what we do is we essentially we shoot neutrons at rocks, and then we um, those neutrons interact with all the rocks and all the material in those rocks, and then we look at the gamma rays that come back. And so, we are trying to understand what the the gamma ray signature is to be able to understand composition. Uh, So we're doing that in Houghton because it's really hard to simulate that environment in our laboratory. You know, we've actually tried to do that. We've bought a ton of Mars soil, um, Mars regolith simulants, right? We have bags of dirt and we put water in it and stuff like that. But but there's no substitute for being in that environment and doing tests. So our primary focus is to go and test this new uh, gamma ray spectroscopy technique in a field environment.
0: That, that's exciting, Nina, we just have a few minutes left and and i 'm just curious of, of of some questions like who is your science hero?
1: Oh science hero goodness we have there are so there's so many good choices i mean I would say i don 't have a single one person that I look to, but there are many people that I aspire to be like in many ways, and you know at the risk of sounding maybe a little bit corny, I would say like you, my dad has been a real um role model and mentor for me, you know, just the way that he approaches both science and life. I think he demonstrates really clearly that you can um, do great work and still, you know, be a great person and treat people around you wonderfully and still be joyful. You know, that to me is a really important lesson, Um, you know, and I think that's, that's something that I can take to many aspects of my life. But as I move forward as a scientist, for me, that's, that's uh, what I look forward to to continuing
0: and and i think you've done a a great job nina i'd like to thank you for coming on because i think what you represent is that ideal of being a great scientist a great person and a great communicator and god knows the world needs more of you so thank you for being on life's tough but explorers are tougher maybe you're i can't wait till people say that you're their hero so-
1: oh goodness <laughs> well thank you you know all i could say is that i i hope that uh, others can look to me and see themselves and their future you know anyone can do what i'm doing and well they'll, i, they'll I, do I think you're being <laughs>
0: modest on that but uh thank you nevertheless nina so uh you are terrific
1: oh thanks thanks for having me
0: every great expedition has to come to an end but that doesn't mean we can't stay in touch Send us your favorite expedition pictures and tell us about your most memorable journeys, large or small. All right. Get something to write with. Here are my coordinates. www.lifestuff.com slash explorers. One more time. www.lifestuff.com slash explorers. That's it for today. Hope to see you out on the trail.